Some of you might not know, but I know, and so does my wife, that is one of Ella's favorite songs. Visiting us from Texas out here just to be with us during our worship service. That's not altogether true. She came to visit her daughter also. But anyway, thankful that the ladies sung that song, not only for the glory of our Lord, but for Ella as well. I remember, and I shared this story more than once probably, but when you get my age, you don't even apologize for doing that. But uh, years ago, I heard about a preacher in Montana. He woke up one Sunday morning. He lived about a mile up the river from the church that he pastored. And it was in the winter, the river was frozen over, and a heavy snowstorm came through that night. The roads were impassable. He couldn't get to the church. And he said, well, nobody else is going to be there anyway. Then he said to himself, well, maybe there might be somebody who show up. So he put on his ice skates and got his Bible and skated down the river. And when he arrived at the church property, which was right on the riverbank, some of the deacons were outside talking and they saw him skating on Sunday. They immediately had him in one of the meeting places confronting him with what he was doing on what they called the believer's Sabbath. He said, what else was I supposed to do if I hadn't put the skates on and skated down here? You wouldn't have a pastor for this morning's service. They looked at each other and didn't know what to say. And one of them asked him, well, did you enjoy it? He said, of course not. I didn't enjoy it. It's cold. It's miserable. They said, well, okay, as long as you didn't enjoy it, it's all right. That's their definition of Christianity. Don't enjoy life at all. Especially not on Sunday. Well, I say that to say this. It's a miserable rainy day today. And you didn't have to put on your ice skates, but you did have to get out in it to be here. And we welcome you. So very thankful that God has brought us together. Turn to Isaiah chapter 12 as we continue in our verse-by-verse study of this book of Isaiah. And this this 12th chapter has been such a blessing for me. I, I trust it has been for you as well. Pastor Don Fortner said, and I wholeheartedly agree, no one ever sought Christ who did not need Him. You will never be saved until you are lost. Salvation is deliverance from danger. You will never flee to Christ for refuge from the wrath to come until you know that you are under the wrath of God and deserve to be. You will never trust Christ until you know you are going to hell and ought to. There is no conversion without conviction. There is no pardon for sin without a confession of sin. And there will never be a confession of sin from you until it is wrought out of you by the power and grace of God the Holy Spirit. I say, Amen. Goodness 
comes from God and it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance and God grants repentance to those that He is pleased to grant repentance to. Graduates from many of today's Bible colleges and this has been going on for decades have been taught that if they want to be successful pastors of large congregations they must Avoid controversial issues. Must not make the people they're preaching to feel uncomfortable. Must not labor too much on the subject of sin. And must not make anyone feel like they deserve to be turned into eternal torment for their sins. Instead, these college graduates have been taught by their so-called Bible college professors that God loves all of Adam's posterity, that God is trying to save the whole human race, that man's eternal destiny is in his own hands, that God is waiting on the individual to give him permission to do something. There are people who have been pastoring churches Uh, religious groups but not God's people for years who have been taught these kinds of things and they keep teaching them and we have people who are taking over as pastors of churches who are present day graduates with these views in mind they have no concern for God's glory they could care less what the word of God teaches The eternal souls of men and women mean nothing to them. What entices them into the ministry is honor and prestige from their congregations, their paycheck, their so-called standing in the society in which they live. They, They are just wolves in sheep clothing. They blatantly deny that the great three-in-one is a covenant God. They blatantly deny that God has a covenant people. And they blatantly deny God's sovereign covenant mercies through the perfect redeeming work of Jesus Christ our Savior. They make the cross of Christ of none effect. They make the promise of God in Christ of none effect and count the sanctifying covenant blood of Jesus Christ an unholy thing while they blatantly despise the Spirit of grace. Their false doctrine of free will self-righteousness or any other false doctrine of salvation by the works of man has reduced the miracle of the new birth to an act performed by man. And in doing so, when they do this, they deny that Jesus Christ saved His people at Calvary. What they're saying, whether they will admit it or not, is that they have done something that has made them acceptable in God's sight. In other words, they have done something God could not do for them, making themselves more powerful than God, exalting themselves above God. Now I am well aware 
that what I have just said is very offensive to works religionists. But I have chosen my words deliberately to point us to God's exalted Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've titled this morning's message, His Name is Exalted. And those very important, holy inspired words are taken from this morning's text, verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 12, which says, And in that day shall you say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doings among the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. That's just loaded. That's just loaded. This is the second time in this 12th chapter of Isaiah that the Holy Spirit draws our attention to these three words in that day. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I'll do exactly what I've said. If I read it once in the Scripture, I believe it. If I read it twice, I'm going to preach it. And I read it twice in this 12th chapter. In that day, that day is referring to that glorious day we were delivered from the power of darkness. That glorious day when God translated us into the kingdom of His, His dear and only begotten Son. That glorious day when the Holy Spirit enlightened our minds, giving us faith to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That glorious day when we, under the preaching of the true gospel of God's grace, experienced the miracle of the new birth by the life-giving power of the risen, exalted Christ of God. In that day, these words were formed in the new heart that God has given to us, causing us to express ourselves verbally with these words for the glory of our great God, praise the Lord. In that day, our text says, shall ye say, praise the Lord. The word shall is an imperative. If God has done a work in our hearts, we're going to praise the Lord. And we're not going to be ashamed of Him. We're going to declare that. We're going to testify that He is our Savior for His glory. And we're going to praise the Lord. In that day, these words were formed in our mouths, in our hearts, but they came forth from our mouth, not only as we expressed ourselves before our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, not only when we went into the waters of baptism, but also every day of our lives. In that day, God the Holy Spirit revealed to us that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, that His name is exalted above all names. And that's the day we called upon His name, crying out for mercy. And God blessed that cry because He's the one who put that cry in our hearts. And we've been crying out to Him every day since. In that day, we declared His doings among the people and we continue to declare His doings among the people. When we made a profession of faith, we declared that Jesus Christ is our Savior, that He Himself obtained eternal redemption for us, that He by Himself purged our sins, that He saved us 
He didn't try to save us. He didn't do something to make it possible for us to save ourselves. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He saved us and we declared that then and we declare it today and by God's grace we'll declare it tomorrow, the next tomorrow, every day that we're allowed to live on this earth, we'll declare that Jesus Christ is our Savior. In the Gospel written by John the Apostle, his closing words of that book that he wrote were these. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. John was declaring Christ's doings when he wrote those words. All the apostles of Jesus Christ declared God's doings when they spoke to others, when they preached, when they wrote. And we also do the very same thing. We declare and we, we rejoice in the honor that God has bestowed upon us in doing so. We declare that Jesus Christ is our Creator. Things came into existence by the word of His mouth. He just spoke. And it was there. Nothing was there before. He just spoke and it was there. And He has been, by His divine providence, holding all of this together by the word of His power ever since He created it. I'm not denying God the Father. I'm not denying God the Holy Spirit. But I'm declaring the works of Jesus Christ. He brought you into this world and He can take you out of this world. That's His prerogative. And every day that we have lived on this earth, we have enjoyed His air that we breathe, the water that we drink, His food that we eat, His ground that we walk on, everything that we have comes from Him. Now this has always been true, but it has not always been true concerning Christ the God-man. He wasn't a man before. He is now. There's a glorified man in heaven. His name is Jesus Christ the Lord. And we declare His doings. He upholds all things by the word of His power. But keeping in context with the other verses in Isaiah chapter 12, when we, make, when we declare His doing, we're talking about salvation. Our text tells us in verse 1 that God's anger has been turned away from us and we know this is because of Jesus Christ. Verse 2 tells us that Jehovah is our strength. He's become our salvation. God is my salvation. So all of this is pointing to God's wonderful gift to us, a miracle of His grace in giving us eternal life. Salvation is of the Lord. And so we declare with Jonah, salvation is of the Lord. So when we declare His works, which our text is telling us, verse 4 saying, declaring His doings among the people, I believe this is referring to salvation. Salvation by the finished work of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. Now the last part of our text is make mention that His name is exalted. Make mention that His name is exalted. We can't do that if we don't know 
what name our God is referring to. He's referring to the name of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word mentioned means to mark so as to be recognized, to remember, be mindful, recount, record, put to remembrance, think on, make mention that His name is exalted. All of God's preachers, when we preach, we remind all of us that it's the name of Jesus Christ that's above every name. God has given Him a name which is above every name. At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow to His absolute sovereignty. That's what the text in Philippians chapter 2 is referring to when it says that, that He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. That's His absolute sovereign rule over everything. He's Jehovah God. The name of Jesus Christ is that name that, that honors and glorifies God the Father. When we bow to Him confessing that He, Jesus Christ, is Lord of all. That's what brings glory to God our Father. Coming to the Lord's table on a regular basis not only reminds us of the death of Jesus Christ our Savior, but also reminds us that He has risen from the grave, that He has entered into heaven itself there to appear in the presence of God for us, that He is seated at the right hand of the Majesty on high to keep us in remembrance of His death till He comes again. Make mention, remember that His name is exalted. Be mindful of this. As pilgrims and sojourners, we are to walk through this world remembering the name of Jesus Christ, remembering that His name is exalted, to be reminded that we are richly blessed because of Jesus Christ, our exalted Lord. To be reminded that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ because of Jesus Christ, our exalted Lord. To be reminded that we are kept through faith by the power of Jesus Christ, our exalted Lord. We are free from the wrath to come because of Jesus Christ, our exalted Lord. We need to be reminded that there's coming a day when we'll be presented faultless, faultless, without any blemish, without any spot, without any stain before the presence of God because of Jesus Christ our exalted Lord and to be joyfully reminded that nothing can relate to our charge and that we can have boldness in the day of judgment and we will spend all eternity in heavenly bliss because of Jesus Christ our exalted Lord. So these truths concerning His name points to the One who loved us and gave Himself for us. I want to take you over to John 
chapter 5, if you would turn there please. John chapter 5. There is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. And last week our subject was the wells of salvation. God Himself by His convicting power made us thirsty for the waters of eternal life. He gave us spiritual eyes to see that Jesus Christ is that living water. That He is the only one who can quench our spiritual thirst. Water is so so important to our to our living, physically speaking. And it is just a good word to use to illustrate the water of life. So listen to what Pastor Don Fortner said on this subject of living water. He said, water is a gift of God. It is something no man can create. If we have water, God must give it. So it is with God's salvation. Water is vital. This is not an optional add-on luxury. Water is indispensable to life. No one can survive without it. Without it we die. Again, the comparison is obvious. Without God's grace, God's salvation, God's Spirit, we must forever perish under the wrath of God. Water meets a universal need. Water is not the requirement of some men, but of all men. All of all the sons and daughters of Adam stand upon equal footing here. It matters not how rich or poor we are, how learned or illiterate, we must have water. It matters not whether we are male or female, black or white, water is something we all must have. It meets the needs of all men alike. So it is with God's salvation. All who are without Christ are lost. All who have Christ are saved. All who are without Christ are without grace and without hope. All who have Christ have life. Water comes down from heaven. It is not of the earth and earthly, but from heaven and heavenly. Again, this is true of God's grace and salvation in Christ. Salvation is of the Lord. God's salvation is well described by the word water because water, like salvation, is a gift that has multiple benefits, Pastor Fortner goes on to say. It cleanses the filthy. It cools the fevered brow. It quenches the thirsty. It refreshes the weary. And it satisfies the soul of a man. Water is something of which we never tire. You may get tired of city water with all its human corruptions. You may tire of yuppie plastic bottled water with its stale stagnancy, but I defy anyone to walk by a cool mountain spring gushing out of a hillside on a hot summer day without stopping for a drink. So too, those who drink of this water 
will never tire of it. Chosen sinners never tire of electing love. Redeemed sinners never tire of blood atonement. Forgiven sinners never tire of divine pardon. Saved sinners never tire of saving grace. Water is sovereignly distributed. In many places it is abundant. In other places it is scarce. In some places it comes seasonally. In other places it seems to fall freely at all seasons. So it is with God's salvation. In some places God sends the dew of heaven occasionally. In some places He opens the windows of heaven and rains grace every day. In some places He sends not so much as a cloud. This water, Pastor Forner goes on to say, this living water comes to sinners only from Christ. If you would have this water, you must get it from Him. End of quote. I read that and I thought, you know, I can't put that in any way that would would improve upon the, the analogy as far as comparing the water of this life to the water of eternal life. We must have it. We must have this water. The water that we need for our, our preservation physically and the water of life that we need for our eternal life. And I thought about this. I thought about what Pastor Fortner said. And I thought about what a man would give for his eternal soul. If we gained the whole world and lost our soul, what have we gained? So I thought about a millionaire with millions of dollars, a lot of it in his possession, out in the middle of a desert, dying of thirst. What would he give for just one drink of cold water? Or hot water for that matter. He would give all that he had. Everything that he had on his possession, and if that wasn't enough, he would try to come up with some way of giving all of his possessions that he has in the banks just for a little water to quench his thirst. What would you give for the water of life? There's absolutely nothing you can give. Nothing. But you can ask. You can ask. Our Lord Jesus said to that woman at the well, He said, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of Him and He would have given thee living water. Have we asked? Have we asked the right person? Have we asked in the right manner? Have we been made by the convicting power of God the Holy Spirit to see that we have nothing to offer that we're bankrupt, that we deserve God's eternal wrath, that we have sinned against Him and hell is our rightful desert. Have we come to the point where we see our need of Christ so much we're willing to do anything to gain what He gives, what He only can give, that is this living water. Well, if God has made us thirsty, and I know the Word of God teaches us, whosoever will, let him drink of the water of life freely. But we have to be made thirsty. And if God has made us thirsty, if we see that we either 
have to have this living water or we perish? Are we willing to humble ourselves and come before our God, bowing down to Him, crying out for mercy in the name of and for the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior? Years ago, right after the Lord saved me, I had two men that I worked with. I rejoiced in talking about Christ and what He had given to me. And two men seemed interested. And they came to church one Sunday morning. We had a visiting preacher. Bill Hodge was a visiting preacher. And we met with him. Me and these two men met with Bill Hodge. And here's what one of them said to my pastor friend. He said, we would like to have what Gene has. Evidently, there, there was something shining from me that attracted them. I believe it was Christ. I, I hope that's it, that I was living for His glory. But they said, one of them said, we would like to have what Gene has. And he said to them, Bill Hodge said to them, we were right there in the worship hall, nobody else was there. He said, are you willing to bow down right here before God and in the name of Jesus Christ cry out for mercy, confessing your sins to Him? They looked at one another and shook their head and walked out. Evidently, they weren't thirsty. Well, I brought you to John chapter 5 for a reason. Make mention that His name is exalted. And here in these Scriptures before us, we have the account of an impotent man that was by the pool of Bethesda that our Lord Jesus had healed. And when He was asked by the Christ-hating, self-righteous Jews who it was that healed, He didn't know. The Lord had not revealed that to Him. But later, the Lord came to him and told him, in verse 14, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. And in verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And you know, he said this with joy. I know he, I know he was rejoicing and declaring the works of Jesus Christ in his life. In verse 16 we read, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay Him because He had done these things on the Sabbath day. Now there were many impotent folk there, but the Scripture tells us a great multitude of impotent folk lay there. But our Lord Jesus came to one who was a certain man. His eye of eternal love was on that one individual that he healed. And those Jews were so angry, hated Christ so much, that they wanted to kill Him. He had healed on a Sabbath day 
And they were willing to justify murdering him on the Sabbath day. That's just typical of self-righteous religionists. Look at verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hither to and I work. In verse 18 we read, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. In these two verses, our Lord Jesus is declaring to those self-righteous Jews that He was equal with God the Father. In the matter of salvation, He said, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. And what He had done when He healed that impotent man was according to the perfect sovereign will of God Almighty who sent His Son to do His will. And God works all things after the counsel of His own will. Jesus Christ works all things after the counsel of His own will. And He called God His Father, making Himself equal with God. And they did not misunderstand Him. Those Jews did not misunderstand what our Lord was saying because they wanted to kill Him because He made Himself equal with God, saying that He was doing the work that His Father also did the work sovereignly as it pleases Him. Look at verse, verses 19 and 20. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of Himself but what He seeth the Father do. For what things soever He doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth Him all things that Himself doeth, and He will show Him greater works than these that ye may marvel. Here in these two verses, our Lord Jesus teaches us that He can do nothing except that which God the Father does. And what He does perfectly harmonizes with the purpose and will of God Almighty. As the God-man, our Lord Jesus had perfect knowledge of His Father's will. Actually, He, the Lord Jesus, was omniscient, knowing all things. Peter said this. The Lord said, Lovest thou me? Peter said, Lord, You know I love You. You know all things. Our Lord Jesus is omniscient. And these two verses teach us not only that He works according to exactly what God would have Him to do in perfect harmony with God Himself, but He teaches us that the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that Himself do. All things were known unto our Lord Jesus before He did them. He did them according to what God had purposed for Him to do. He knew, oh, get a hold of this. He knew before He went to the cross that His Father would turn His back on Him. That God the Father would forsake Him. He even cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew that. Yet he went. He went because of his love for his own people. 
He went there knowing that if he did not go through that indescribable, painful death, that ignominious death of the cross, there would be no hope for those who were given to him in the eternal covenant of grace. He knows all things. Look at verse 21. It says, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom He will. The word quickeneth means give life. Only God can give life. Life comes from God. All life comes from God. I don't care if it's animal life, plant life. I don't care what kind of life it is. All life comes from God. Our physical life comes from God. Our eternal life comes from God. He alone is the dispenser of life. And our Lord Jesus puts Himself on equal plane with God the Father by telling us this. As God the Father gives life to whomsoever He will, the Lord Jesus said, I give, I quicken, I give, I give life to whomsoever I will. That's sovereignty. He has the absolute sovereign right to give eternal life to as many as God the Father gave Him. And He exercises that right. And that's His sovereign prerogative. There were many impotent folk there by the pool of Bethesda, but He only healed one. That's His sovereign choice of doing that. He did that because He has the sovereign right to do it. He heals as He pleases. He makes sick as He pleases. It's our Lord Jesus who's in control of all of these things. So verse 21 teaches us that Jesus Christ has the same power of God the Father in giving life to the dead, but also teaches us that our Lord and Savior is sovereign in all things, and especially giving life. Verses 22 and 23 says, For the Father judgeth no man, would have committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent Him. All judgment has been given to the Son. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Scripture tells us that God our Father has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men and that He hath raised Him from the dead. That's Acts 17.3. Now why has God done that? Why has God committed all judgment unto the Son? Why has He put all things under His feet? Why has He put all things into the hands of Jesus Christ? Why has He given Him all power in heaven and earth? Why has God done that? So that all men would honor the Son even as they honor the Father. If we don't honor the Son as we honor the Father, we don't honor the Father who sent the Son. It's just as simple as that. So our text is teaching us from Isaiah chapter 12 to make mention that His name is exalted. God has given them a name which is above every name. And we should not be bashful about declaring this. We should be honored every time we have the opportunity to tell folks that we are dealing with, whether it's our own immediate family, whether it's our co-workers, whether it's friends that we socialize with, or if we're on some kind of a trip meeting strangers on the way, we should be ready and willing to tell folks, Jesus Christ is my exalted King. 
His name is above every name. God has highly exalted Him. He's on His throne of power. And we better bow down to Him. If we don't, there's coming a day when we will. Look at the Scripture on, on the front of this morning's bulletin, if you will. I took this from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 12-16. through 16. It reads this way, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which in His times He shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. That's a powerful portion of God's Word. And I know Paul is writing to Timothy. But the application should be made to each one of us. Fight the good fight of faith. And it's a fight. It's a fight. And it may cost us. Cost Abel his life. We heard that from Brother Brad Ward this morning during the devotional time. He looked to Christ and only to Christ. And that's our profession of faith. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We must fight the good fight of faith. Not only because of those who oppose us, who would try to distract us and take our eye off of Christ, but because of that old nature that we're still plagued with, that tries to surface, rear its ugly head in in a moment's notice, and it can't. We must fight the good fight of faith. We must keep looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Trusting in Him for whatever it is that we are going through, whether it be trials of heavy persecution or painful things that we endure and are walking this life, we, we're not... Just because we're God's children does not mean that we won't get a cold or a flu or cancer. These things don't happen by accident. There are no accidents with God. He has purposed all things. And we need to be calling upon that name which is above every name for our every need, whether it's those things that I've just mentioned, whether it's the physical needs that we have every day, our food, our clothing, our water, our shelter, our homes, all of these things are in the hands of Jesus Christ, our heavenly Joseph. He dispenses them as it pleases Him. And we just need to humble ourselves before God in the name of Jesus Christ, crying out to Him for whatever our need might be and also crying out to Him, giving thanks for all of the needs that He has provided for us. So fight the good fight of faith. That fight is going to go on until we're delivered from the body of this death. And that won't happen until God's appointed time as well. Our Lord Jesus confessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate. Pilate said, don't you know I have the power to either 
crucify you or set you free. And our Lord Jesus said, you wouldn't have any power over me at all if it hadn't been given to you from above. So that's true. That's true with everyone we come in contact with. They have no power over us. I put a little article under food for thought. I've titled it something to ponder. I, I wrote these words, everything that happens is according to the permissive will of our Lord Jesus Christ for His glory and for our good. Knowing this, we should never, and I put the word never in capitals and in bold writing, we should never allow the actions of others to offend us. That's easier said than done. But that's true. So the name of Jesus Christ has been exalted above every name. Not everybody knows this. And maybe it's because we haven't been bold enough to declare it. I don't know. I know that even when we do declare it, only God can make it known to the heart in a way that will give Jesus Christ the glory and benefit the one that we're talking to. But we need to be bold enough. We need to identify our God. You know, it's easy to say, well, God has blessed me. It's just as easy to say, the Lord Jesus Christ has blessed me. So we're identifying our God when we use His name. His name is exalted above every name. Every religious person in the world will make a a testimony like that, God has blessed me. But only those who have Christ in their hearts, who know that His name is exalted can say that giving glory to Him for our friends or whoever we're talking to for their good. So it's the name of Jesus Christ. And if they don't know His name, there's coming a day when they will know His name because that Scripture I put on the front of this morning's bulletin says that in His times He will show who is a blessed and only potentate. That word is dunastes, the Greek word It's where we get our word dynamite. It means power. He's the blessed and only power. In His times, He will show that He's the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. And what an honor, folks. What an honor God has bestowed upon us to be instruments to glorify our Father in heaven by declaring His name, the name of Jesus Christ is exalted, that His name is above every name. If you want salvation, His name is that name which is given among men whereby they must be saved. That's the only name. Isn't it wonderful to know that God has given us this understanding? And what an honor to be able to share this with others, to ask them this question, have you called on His name? Have you asked Him for the living water if you knew Him? If you knew that Jesus Christ is God Almighty, that He is the living water, that He gives life to those that He is pleased to give life to, you would ask Him to tell folks this, to let them know that Jesus Christ that very man who was hated and despised of men, who was nailed to that cross, who died, who laid down his life for his sheep, 
That very man has risen. And he has entered into heaven itself. And right there he is right now at this very moment has been for over 2,000 years as Lord of all, ruling and reigning over everything in this whole universe. And what comfort that brings to the hearts of God's people during any kind of a situation, whether it's painful or whether it's on the mountaintop of success, to know that He, Jesus Christ, is Lord of all and whatsoever He is pleased to allow us to do is for His glory. So God bless us as we continue in this pilgrimage walk before Him with this awareness before us. His name is exalted and use His name in reverence as we are allowed the honor of serving Him in this life below.